let me tell you a little bit about uh, what last Sunday looked like for me and my family at our home. Well, last Sunday for us was one of the most unique Easter Sundays that we've ever experienced. Uh, for us, we stayed home all day. It was uh, not something that we normally do. Normally on Easter, we're going out uh, to be with extended family, enjoying the food that was made by aunts and uncles, extended family. But we didn't take part in that. We stayed home. We cooked our own Easter ham. Instead of worshiping with our church family in our church building, we worshiped with our church family from our living room, probably like many of you did as well. And one other thing that was unique about last Sunday was that my family and I had time to go on a bike ride, an Easter Sunday bike ride. So there we were after uh, tuning into our second worship service, the 11 o'clock. We had some lunch. We put Calvin down for a nap, and I took the girls, Piper and Hattie, out for a bike ride. Well, Hattie, she's four. She likes to ride uh, in my bike trailer that I have. And Piper, she's six. She likes to ride out ahead of me leading the way. And she'll get to each intersection and wait to find out, are we going to turn right? Are we going to turn left? Or are we going to go straight? Well, as we kept going, uh, we had been riding our bikes every few days as the weather allows, and we've loved uh, to have some 80-degree days, and then we have some days with snow. Well, we were happy that uh, we were able to go out and do some bike rides. But what we noticed is a problem. Our destinations, our favorite bike ride destinations, we can't go to because they're closed. Some of our favorite parks that we like to go to and swing on the swings and slide down the slides, we can't do because all the parks are closed. We can't go visit some of our friends in our neighborhood and give them a high five and a hug and see how they're doing. And we can't go to some of our favorite restaurants and sit down and have a, a frozen sweet treat. The thing is, we are trying to figure out what destinations can we go to. So last Sunday, I thought of a destination in my mind. And as we went out our front door, our girls asked, where are we going? And I told them that it was going to be a surprise. As we were riding our bikes and going, uh, Piper got a little tired, so she hopped in the trailer as well. We put her bike hanging off the back of it. And they started to ask me questions. Dad, where are we going? Dad, where are we going? Dad, where are we going? As only little girls do. And finally, they were able to settle in for the ride, knowing where we were going. Once I told them, we were going downtown Aurora to River Edge Park, the beautiful outdoor amphitheater that has nobody in it these days. Well, I think it's a very similar thing in our Christian life. In our Christian life, a lot of times, we can lose our way. We can forget what's our destination. What are things going to look like at the end of all of this, it's easy to become anxious, to become unsettled when we don't keep in mind that our ultimate destination is an eternity in heaven with God. Maybe you're feeling that way right now. Maybe you're sitting at home experiencing conflict with your family like you've never really experienced before because of your being together all the time. Or maybe you're sensing your anxiety rising up within you as we learn more and more about the numbers of coronavirus cases rising in our world. You may be struggling to believe that God is really good in the midst of all of this. 
Well, as we look at Philippians chapter 4 today, the Apostle Paul has some great encouragements for us Christians as we press on towards our destination. Today we are going to see that the finish line tells us how to run. The finish line, heaven, we know we're going there, and that tells us how to run the race of the Christian life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you that you are the rock that our lives are built upon. Lord, I pray that as we approach this passage today, Lord, we want to hear from you. Lord, we want to come to a greater understanding of what it means to have peace from you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us in a powerful way. I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit and that you would use this time together to be a great reminder of what it looks like to run the Christian race with heaven in mind. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when we as believers remember that we are anticipating an eternity in heaven, that shapes how we run the race. And today we're going to see in our passage, the Apostle Paul gives us three very clear ways that heaven-minded Christians should live. So if you have your notes, go ahead and write this down. Your first uh, point is this. Heaven-minded Christians should agree in the Lord. Heaven-minded Christians should agree in the Lord. When I was growing up, my parents used to quote my grandfather, Bob Schaefer. Uh, I have a lot of great memories. My grandpa was uh, a, a fun-loving guy, liked to have a lot of great times, and sometimes he was silly, and I love that about him. And one thing, one saying that I remember that he was always known to say would come up because he had three daughters, and sometimes some conflicts would arise and there would be problems, but sometimes seriously and sometimes playfully he would say to them, girls, try to get along. Girls, try to get along. He would say this and now we quote that. At family birthday parties there on the farm in Elburn, we would probably hear, girls, try to get along. Opening presents on Christmas morning, we would hear it again. Girls, try to get along. And I'm sure, no doubt, on their trip out to see the Grand Canyon years ago, girls try to get along. Well, I found myself say, saying the same thing with my own kids these past few days, in my home, with my kids. And Paul has a similar message for us. To a couple of the fellow believers that he loves, he says, girls try to get along. Let's see what Paul has for us in verse 1. He says this, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Before we go any further, I want to make sure that we understand what Paul is encouraging us to do. Paul has just gotten finished telling us that we are citizens of heaven. Last week, Pastor Tim encouraged us with that fact, the fact that we should not just be living as citizens of earth, but we should be living, recognizing we are citizens of heaven. We belong in heaven. That's where we're headed. Even our bodies will be transformed to prepare us for an eternity there with God. And before that, Paul told us to press on toward the goal. Pastor Steve told us about that. He encouraged us, keep your eyes fixed on what is ahead, the finish line, the prize of eternity with Jesus in heaven, available for all those 
who have come to him in repentance and faith. And now Paul tells us that because we are headed to heaven, we should stand firm. We should live out our faith every day. Our heavenly destination has real implications for how we should be living now. The finish line tells us how to run. Paul continues and he tells us in verse 2 how our destination impacts our relationships. First, we're going to see how this impacts the relationships that we have with others. Take a look with me in your copy of God's Word in verse 2. It says this, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Well, we're not sure what the conflict was, but we know that Euodia and Syntyche weren't getting along. They had a difference of opinion about something, but Paul wanted them to be reconciled. And here are a few details. You can write these down in your notes. Here are some details of what agreeing in the Lord looks like. Agreeing first can be hard. Agreeing can be really hard. Here are some women who worked together, but they couldn't find any unity. Paul uses the same Greek phrase here that he did in Philippians chapter 2. In verse 2 he says, be of the same mind. Agree with one another. But that's something that's a lot harder said than done. The second thing about agreeing is that agreeing can require outside help. We're not sure if they had tried to work it out themselves already or not, but Paul recognized that they may need a mediator to help them work through this. And that's sometimes the case in our life, isn't it? Sometimes we need an elder, uh, a mentor, a small group leader, or in some cases we may need a professional counselor to help us work through conflict that we're experiencing. Well, Paul says, I ask you also, true companion, to help these women. So agreeing in the gospel can be hard. Sometimes it's going to require help. And third, agreeing can hasten the gospel. That's the good news. Agreeing with other believers can help hasten or advance the gospel. When Euodia and Syntyche were laboring side by side for the gospel of Jesus, no doubt they made an impact on the kingdom of God. They served with other believers. They used their efforts to spread the gospel, and God used those in huge ways. And Paul gives another reminder, another little reminder that heaven is our destination. He says this, your names are written in the book of life. Now, what is the book of life, you might ask? Well, the book of life is something that's mentioned all throughout Scripture, but especially in Revelation. God's record of those who belong to him is called the book of life. Another reminder, keep your eye on the finish line. Agreeing with others can be hard, can require help, and it can hasten the gospel. But what does that mean for us? What does that mean in our lives My encouragement to you is to let your identity in Christ, who you are as a believer, to overcome any conflict, any disagreement that you have with other believers. This includes things like social media disagreements. Those should take a back seat. When we're arguing on Facebook or Twitter, whatever it is, 
that should take a back seat to agreeing in the Lord. Very strong opinions should take a back seat. Even those things that you feel so strongly about, those should take a back seat to agreeing in the Lord. And one big one this, these days is political disagreements. Political disagreements should take a back seat so we can agree with the Lord. This is huge these days. People are asking the questions, well, should the country be cut, shut down? Uh, should the country be opened up again? Which party has the best plan to carry us through this? Political disagreements take a back seat to agreeing in the Lord. Romans 12 verse 18 says this very clearly. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. As you're living at home, as you're running into conflict with family members or maybe people that you're not around but that you're in communication with, look for ways to agree in the Lord. If you need some help, find help. Find some help, someone who can help mediate and help you work through that conflict. The finish line of heaven tells us how to run. So first Paul tells us that heaven-minded Christians should agree in the Lord. And next we see this. Heaven-minded Christians find peace in God. Heaven-minded Christians find peace in God. I heard a story this last week uh, about a king, a fictitious story about a king who offered a prize to the artist in his kingdom who could paint the best picture to illustrate peace. And many artists came and they tried to paint and they tried to illustrate peace in the best way possible. And finally it came down to two finalists. There were two pictures and the king was going to choose between these two finalists. One was a picture of a calm lake. The lake was a perfect mirror for the peaceful mountains that were in the background Overhead, there were fluffy white clouds in the sky. And everyone thought, this is a perfect picture of peace. And then they went on to the second picture. And the second painting had mountains as well. But these mountains, they were rugged. And they were bare. Above that was an angry gray sky with rain coming down and lightning flashing in the background. Down the side of the mountain tumbled a foaming waterfall. This did not appear at all to be a peaceful place. But then when the king looked closer, he looked and behind that waterfall, there was a mother bird sitting on the nest that she had made for her baby birds. And he noticed that there, in the middle of this struggle, this tumultuous circumstance, the mother was able to have peace. The king realized he chose the second picture because peace is not only a place where there is no noise, no trouble, no hard work going on. No, peace can be seen in the midst of a storm. Peace transcends the struggle around us. Well, let me tell you, Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace. Peace can be found through God alone. Let's take a look at what the Apostle Paul says that we should do if we want to experience peace in the midst of our own storms. Let's take a look at verse 4. Would you turn back to verse 4 with me? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything 
by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul tells us how our finish line of heaven should affect our relationships. We already heard about that. And here he's going to tell us how the finish line of heaven should affect our heart, our emotions, what's going on inside of our soul. Paul says that we should find our peace in God. There's three main things about peace from God that I want to let you know this morning. The first is this. Peace from God follows rejoicing. Peace from God follows rejoicing. Paul lays before us a challenge to rejoice in the Lord always. And Paul certainly knew better than any of us the challenges that we face in the Christian life. Paul has dealt with so many, and yet he tells us twice, rejoice, rejoice. He wants us to get the un- understand the importance of rejoicing. Just like that little mother bird in the painting, didn't depend on her circumstances to experience peace or joy. Paul tells us that deep contentment in the Lord is always available for us based on our trust in the sovereign living God. Peace from God follows rejoicing. The second thing about peace is that peace from God also follows reasonableness. Write that down. Peace from God also follows reasonableness. And reasonableness really means that we're operating logically. It means that we're responding with sound judgment. Paul recognizes that as we interact with one another, other Christians, our emotions could get the best of us. We could get worked up about some things. But he tells us to be reasonable even in spite of those things. It's easy to be carried away with those struggles and to say, it's too much, I can't handle it anymore, I'm done. It's also easy to take a self-centered approach and just to think about your own needs and not the needs of those around you. But reasonableness is critical in Christian community. We need to live recognizing the impact that our response to adversity has on those observing our Christian testimony. Then Paul gives another great reminder. All along the way, we have hints. Remember the finish line. Paul says this, The Lord is at hand. Keep in mind, Jesus is coming back. He's going to return and he is going to judge and hold people responsible for their deeds. Now those of us who are believers in Jesus Christ, who have repented of our sin and turned to Jesus in faith for salvation from our sins, we know that we will not get punishment from God for those things. Jesus bore our guilt, our shame on the cross, but he will hold us responsible for every careless deed. Our finish line tells us how to run the race. So peace from God allows rejoicing. It follows reasonableness. And third, peace from God follows prayer requests. Peace from God follows prayer requests. And here we find ourselves at an indispensable verse. This verse, I think, is so appropriate for the day that we are living in. In this age of uncertainty, God has brought us, I believe, to a verse that is a lifeline for us. Anxiety is not a joke. 
Anxiety has gripped many of us in fear of our circumstances. Anxiety has taken root in some of our hearts. Anxiety has made fear of the future our master. Many of my close loved ones have fought against anxiety for years. So I'm not a stranger to the feelings of dread, the feeling of hopelessness that come with anxiety. And during anxiety, we can imagine the worst possible outcomes. What could possibly go wrong? We imagine that, and then we experience the emotional toll of those fears in our present time. And that's a really scary place to be. But we're not alone. And fear is not our master. Emily, my wife, comes back to this promise time and time again because it gives us hope in fearful times. Let us not forget that Paul has dealt with anxiety himself. He's no stranger to this either. In Philippians 2, Paul says that he was eager to send Epaphroditus that he may be less anxious. Paul has been around the block in terms of experiencing anxiety. But Paul's command is clear. Do not be anxious about anything. That's a really tall order. That's a really tall order for someone who's had anxiety clouding your entire world from the truth of who God is. But thankfully, Paul doesn't just leave us there. He tells us what we should do instead. Paul tells us that we are to make our requests known to God. Let your requests be made known to God, and we do this through prayer, through calling out to God. And in prayer, Paul calls us to participate in supplication. Supplication is a word that really means bringing an appeal, bringing a petition before God. You can talk to God about the virus. You can talk to God about what scares you most during these times. You can talk to God about potential job loss or your bank account balance. You can talk to God about all those things. Health issues, relationships being strained at this time, we can bring those all before the Lord with our requests. And what else? Is it just our requests that we are to bring before the Lord? No. Paul goes on and he says that we are to bring our thanksgiving before the Lord. We should be mindful and thankful of everything that God has already done in our lives. This is the posture that we are supposed to take. We're supposed to think this, I'm tempted to be anxious, but God is my master, not fear. We should think I'm bringing my request before God because I know he is the one who can do something about my fear and my problems. I'm thankful for the way what God has already done. I'm asking God to take care of me, but what's next? What's next? How does God promise that he will respond? God promises us that if we will take this posture, and I quote, he says this, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God will guard your mind, your thoughts. The peace of God will guard your heart, your emotions. Friends, anxiety can feel like a death sentence. It can feel like there's no hope going forward. But the God of peace is here to guard us. 
The lies of the evil one have no place in our hearts, no place in our minds when God is protecting us. Rejoicing, reasonableness, and requests through prayer all lead to the peace of God. So how can we live this out in our lives? How does this get practical for us? When we're looking at our financial situation, let your requests be made known to God. Maybe you are facing unemployment. Maybe you're not sure how you're going to make ends meet this week. Maybe you keep taking a peek at the stock market all day long, getting that sinking feeling when you look at your retirement accounts. I want to encourage you, let your request be made known to God. Ask God to give you his peace. When you're interacting in community with others, let your reasonableness be known to all. And when you're facing troubles of all kinds, look for ways to rejoice. We have one song left at the end of this service. And maybe you need to stand up right there in your living room and sing out how great our God is. Rejoice. Praise him for who he is and what he has done. Let me tell you this. You can experience God's peace. He offers it to all of us if we will turn to him. We can have peace from the Prince of Peace even in the storm around us. The finish line of heaven gives us the right perspective. We know how to run because God is in control. Heaven-minded Christians, like I said, should agree in the Lord. Heaven-minded Christians find peace in God. And heaven-minded Christians think about praiseworthy things. That's our third point. Write that down in your notes. Heaven-minded Christians think about praiseworthy things. These past few weeks, uh, there have been a lot of bad, bad news, a lot of bad things to think about. Uh, sad stories about the spread of the virus, news about uh, financial struggles across the world, uncertainty as to what the future holds and when this whole thing will wrap up. But one thing that I noticed is people looking for good news. People looking for hope and wholesome things to share. One thing that I noticed, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, but the actor John Krasinski started a YouTube channel and has made, uh, I believe, at least three episodes so far of a homemade news, news station called Some Good News. I think his kids made uh, the little logo that sits behind him, SGN. And John celebrates some of the good news things that we have seen in our world. He sees parents finding creative ways to teach their kids at home. He celebrates companies and individuals putting together, manufacturing, and transporting personal protective equipment to those taking care of the sick. Another cool moment that I thought was pretty cool is when he surprises a nine-year-old girl who was excited to go see the Broadway show Hamilton, but she wasn't able to because it closed down. He was uh, video chatting with her, and gradually, people from the cast of Hamilton started to join into this Zoom call, and they sang for her one of her favorite songs. The whole point of this whole show is to encourage and uplift in the face of a hard time for our country and for our world. As Christians, we are encouraged to do the same thing. We're not to just pretend like everything's fine and dandy. We're not to act like ostriches, just put our heads in the sand and ignore what else is going on around us. 
we're still aware of the seriousness of what is going on around us. But Paul gives us the antidote to anxiety. Paul gives us the antidote to help our minds fight against that anxiety. And that's that heaven-minded Christians think about praiseworthy things. Let's take a look in our final passage, starting in verse 8. Grab your Bibles and look at verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So let me tell you three things about praiseworthy thoughts. First, praiseworthy thoughts are possible. This is something that's possible for us to do as followers of Christ. Paul isn't giving us an impossible task. This is really what walking as a Christian in faith really looks like. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you and you are capable of the fruits of the Spirit that relate with with your mind. Specifically, experiencing joy, experiencing peace, experiencing self-control. And we are to fill our minds with the things that will inspire worship of God and service of others. There's an element of this that extends to the kinds of books, TV shows, and movies that we fill our minds with. Because really, if we're filling our minds with the kind of content that is not honorable to God, that's not pure, that's not commendable, it's going to be really hard to honor God with our thoughts. Not only are these praiseworthy thoughts possible, but Paul tells us this. Praiseworthy thoughts should be practiced. Praiseworthy thoughts should be practiced. We see in verse 9, some of the Philippians had a great spiritual mentorship from Paul. He set the pace in his lifestyle, in his priorities, but he didn't just give them lectures. He didn't just give them truth or just the theology, just the content. No, he lived it out and he showed them what it looks like in our lives with his life as a model. His challenge for the Philippians and for us is that we would live it out, that we would practice these praiseworthy thoughts. They should be practiced. They're possible, and they make us feel God's presence. Praiseworthy thoughts make us feel God's presence. And really, here's kind of a twist for us, because we've talked about the peace of God, the peace of God, but now Paul intensifies what we can expect as Christians thinking praiseworthy thoughts. Paul tells us, not only will we have the peace of God, but we will have the God of peace. The God of peace himself will be with us. And not just in the way that he's around the whole world and he's everywhere, but his presence will be with us in a special way. J. Ryan Lister, the author of a book called The Presence of God, writes this, The Bible emphasizes God's manifest presence not only his omnipresence. There's a difference between saying God is everywhere and saying God is here. We talk about God's presence being inescapable and that he is everywhere present, but it seems scripture is more concerned with his presence manifest in relationship and redemption. When we fill our minds with praiseworthy thoughts, 
and put into practice what God is teaching us, Paul says there is a special way that we are going to experience God's presence. And how do we live that out? How do we think praiseworthy thoughts? Well, my first encouragement to you would be this. Fill your mind with truth about God. Fill your mind with truth about God. Find scripture. Find truth about God that you can cling to even in your most desperate moments. I was on a prayer call with uh, area pastors this last week, praying together, and one of the leaders said this. He said that his hope and his peace are not in what he knows about the coronavirus, but his hope and his peace are in what he knows about his God. My second encouragement to you would be this. Open up your thought life with fellow believers. If you're in a small group, open up about the type of struggles, the things that you're having trouble getting over in your mind. Maybe you need to find one other person, uh, whether that's a spiritual mentor or could be your spouse, could be someone else that's in your small group. And if you're not in a small group, I'd encourage you to get, one, get in one. Now is the perfect time to do that. So indispensable to have Christian community in these times. But spend time with those persons and open up about what is going on in your mind. Invite some accountability so they can speak truth into your mind. And my third encouragement is to ask God to make it happen. Ask God to make it happen. Ask God to bring that peace into your life and fill your mind with things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. If you'd like a, a great resource about some truth about God that you can cling to during this COVID-19 pandemic, uh, the book that I would recommend to you is a book that I've been reading uh, by one of my favorite authors, John Piper. He wrote a book really just in the last few weeks called Coronavirus and Christ. It was just published it's available for free in a number of digital formats. You can go ahead and grab that online. Hopefully we'll send that out to you this week in an email and on social media. And the first half of this book is encouragement about the God who reigns over the coronavirus. And the second half is about what God is doing in the midst of this coronavirus. But however you do it, fill your mind with praiseworthy thoughts and experience the presence of God in new ways. Heaven-minded Christians think about praiseworthy thoughts. Well, as I wrap up today, I want to finish my story about my bike ride last week with my daughters. I told you that we went out and we rode our bikes downtown Aurora to River Edge Park, but that wasn't our final destination. We enjoyed the journey together. We had a great time laughing, lots of smiles and great memories. But I didn't tell you about the ultimate destination that we had on our trip. Near the end of the bike ride, I started to hear things like, Dad, we're thirsty. We ran out of water. And I really started to feel the extra weight in the trailer, uh, in my legs, straining my muscles, making me tired. And on my way up one of the final hills, a very steep hill, I started to think, wow, I'm going to have to stop. I'm going to have to pause for a little bit. I'm going to have to get off this bike. I don't know if I can continue up this hill because this is hard. But here's the thing. I was able to press on. Do you know why? 
It's because my final destination was home. We were going home. We were going to the place where our loved ones were. We were going to the place where we belong. We were going home. And Christians, we are going home. We are going home. Heaven is our home. That is where our citizenship is. We belong there. That's our finish line. And we look forward to the day that we will experience God, his manifest presence with us for the rest of eternity. We will enjoy being with him. That is our home. Keep that in mind. The finish line tells us how to run. 